middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. That is correct. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast. It's all about sports in and around the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor. Welcome into another episode of Keeper of the Games. We are in season two, episode number 16. It is our 64th overall episode of Keeper of the Games back with you here as we wrap up the month of May. And I'm joined as always by my co-hosts. We'll start with Blake Cripps, who Blake, I know that uh, I, you know you have been mourning the loss of the NHL on NBC for the last couple of days. So I'm glad that you were able Man. to pull yourself out of your grief and join us here tonight. You know, if Doc Emmerich were still working games that would that, that would be so much harder to take but he's retired you know the, the N, NHL on NBC for me is kind of an institution because it you know, like it grew up with my hockey fandom like the NHL on NBC became a thing as I got into hockey so for it to not be on there is really crazy I like that it's back on ESPN I love that that theme music is back and Turner Sports you know they they've done a I think they've done a good job covering Major League Baseball I like their NBA coverage. Even I like their NBA coverage way more than I like the NBA. Like I'll watch inside the NBA with uh, you know Shaq and Kenny and uh, Chuck and EJ. You know, dude, who cares about the stupid games? Just give, just give me that show and Shaq did a fool and I'm good. So and they do a good job with the NCAA tournament too. So I'm interested to see how this works out, who they will bring in, and what that television package will look like for the next seven years. But yeah, it is NBC Sports to me. Man, it, they got Sunday Night Football. What else they got? I mean, they used to have the Wimbledon, the French Open, all the golf majors, and now they got nothing, babe. They got the British Open. Thank God they have the U.S. Open back. So at least there's some sanity left in my sports world. But, yeah, I, I'm ex- I'm interested to see what happens with Turner Sports yeah, in the NHL. Yeah, I'm not a, uh, an NHL fan whatsoever. However, if Chuck and Shaq start covering NHL games, uh, then I'll – that's All not bets are happen. off with me. I'm just, I'm saying, you know, you never know what that might look like. We're also joined by Weston Mills here on the program. Weston was under the weather a week ago. So Blake and I flew solo, or I guess uh, flew duo on the show uh, a week ago because Weston was not with us. And uh, Weston, we were debating on whether or not your absence had anything to do with the fact that you attended the Royals game when it was like 32 degrees outside. Was that part of the reason why? You missed the show, and how are you feeling today? Well, let me first start by addressing uh, the elephant in the room. I am a proud owner of 423 Dogecoin. That's the only information I will speak to. Anything else you can uh, talk to my lawyer about that. Um, going back to my illness. No, I actually – so I got the uh, – as I told you guys, I got the second shot of Moderna. And I was at the Royals game. I didn't get home till midnight from that Royals game even. Ah. And so a combination of that and then the second shot, and I wasn't even, it's not even, I I didn't feel that sick. I was just, I mean, exhausted. Like, and I don't know if either of you, it reminded me of uh, my senior year of college ball. I broke my hand and they they prescribed me Loratab. I took one Loratab and was like, I could not function. I was so like that amount of exhausted from it. And that that's, I mean, that's the only way I can really describe how I felt. I, I didn't really feel that sick. I just, I mean, I was just a zombie. And and then so absolutely probably a combination of uh, the Royals game the day before. But uh, 
happy to be back. Uh, you know, I, I, you guys, you pretty much fly solo. You guys, you two kind of equal one. So that kind of makes sense that you were flying solo without me, but. There's the most, there's the most incendiary take. Hey, I got to come, I gotta come in, put pistols well, blazing Weston, after we're, missing we're last week. We're glad that you're feeling. We're, we're glad that you're back uh, feeling 100%. We're glad that you're back here uh, on the program. We want to remind all of you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will be notified. Of course, you can listen to us on all major streaming platforms on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all the major ones. Wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, you'll be able to find Keeper of the Games. Our website is cogsports.com. Of course, you can also watch this episode on the Keeper of the Games YouTube channel and on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us anytime on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G-Pod on the program this week. Uh, sounds like KU zeroing in on a new head football coach. We'll discuss what that may look like for the Jayhawks. Also, the Royals just a couple of days ago had the best record in baseball. And as it stands right now, they have the best record in the American League. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes as well. Shocker baseball and softball with a crucial weekend coming up for both of them. Our Wichita whip around and a whole lot more. But we kick off the program with what it's probably the favorite show the favorite topic that Weston Mills will ever have on Keeper of the Games because on <sighs> Thursday night we are just we're, we're just days away for not days away hours away from the NFL draft taking place and uh, Weston I remember a year ago we did our first ever NFL draft uh, episode here on Keeper of the Games it was just you and me and you know, I was pretty impressed with the amount of research that you put in to the NFL draft. And, you know, although we're not going to have time, unfortunately, to go through every <laughs> single one of your picks throughout the entire draft, there's a lot that we want to talk about as it relates to the Kansas City Chiefs. So first off, let's start with the big story with the Kansas City Chiefs. It happened on Friday afternoon as the Chiefs traded away their first round pick, the 31st overall pick. Also, a third-round pick, 94th overall, a fourth-round pick, 136th overall, and a fifth-round pick for next year to the Baltimore Ravens as the Chiefs are looking to completely rebuild, and they have completely rebuilt their offensive line. They picked up offensive tackle Orlando Brown from the Ravens. They also got a second-round pick, 58th overall, and a sixth-round pick for next year. So, Weston, let's start right there. Number one, we all know that the Chiefs were looking to completely revamp that offensive line after the outing that they had in the Super Bowl back in February. Were you surprised this deal got done? And if not, were you surprised that these were the terms of the deal? Uh, so, no, I, I'm not surprised that, that the deal got done. And I will – I'll admit, hand up, I I don't think at the end of last season I did not think they were going to really revamp the offensive line. I kind of looked at it as like, oh, my gosh, they had so many injured pieces, you know, for a team that got to the Super Bowl – um, but boy, was I, was I wrong? And, and I, you know, with that being said, I, I don't necessarily think that it was the wrong move or anything like that because they've done a great job, in my opinion, of of repiecing this back together. But um, 
we're, we're going to get into the uh, the details of the draft right off the bat because you know you asked if I was surprised if this deal got done before the draft and um, you know obviously there was a lot of talk going into kind of the, hey the Chiefs are probably looking at a left tackle they got to hold that left tackle Eric Fisher's gone what are they going to do you know they they have rumors who's going to be at right they've got Lucas Niang coming back but it's completely unproven this will be his you know true rookie year after sitting out last year you know what are they really going to do at left tackle so I, I think a lot of the focus was on who Kansas City might take at 31 with that left tackle spot well there was a lot of talk up to the draft and, and this is why I'm not surprised Andy Reid is a strong believer in offensive linemen that have a arm length over 32 inches he does not like to draft uh, linemen with 32 or well really sub 33 inch arms if you look at the top five, really five to six, you know, projected tackles in this draft, notwithstanding uh, Penny Sewell, who will be the first offensive lineman off the board, all those tackles had sub 33-inch arms. Um, so I, it does not surprise me at all that they took a, took a hard look at this draft class and said, let's go get somebody proven. Um, I, I think the only thing that – is a question with this move because I, I mean, if you've been following Orlando Brown jr, that's, I mean, he's solid left tackle for, for the Ravens. I mean, he's an absolute monster, uh six, eight, three fifty five out of Oklahoma, two time pro bowler in the uh, three years he's been with them. Fantastic. But you've, but now you've traded for someone that you're going to have to pay because he is entering into his last year of the deal. Not that that's a problem, but it, you know, it, that's one approach compared to, saying we'll take the young tackle that we have that we can have on on a rookie deal for four potentially five years um so that would be the only in my opinion con to this is just that you have to pay them but as we've all discussed i think each one of us have have admitted to this like paying the guys that protect patrick mahomes is probably the second most important thing to to paying patrick mahomes for the kansas city chiefs football team so i love the deal um i i think it's funny that you get into the the, the particulars of you know arm length and those kind of things but i think it really did make a, a difference here when they kind of analyzed this draft class and um I, I love the move i think it's a it's exciting uh for the chiefs I don't really have any preconceptions as to whether or not the Chiefs gave up too much or, you know, what they're not going to get back. I think that the deal was that the Chiefs gave up this year's number 31 pick, third round pick, fourth round pick, next year's fifth round pick, and then they got a second round pick this year and a sixth round pick for next year. So basically they flopped rounds next season and it's two picks. You know, the, the Chiefs are giving up a couple of picks. They're getting a second round pick. So I guess three three for one this year, plus they're getting Orlando Brown. Um, you guys both know that I, I don't care about the NFL draft, not what I choose to spend my attention on. So I'm going to focus on Orlando Brown. I would hesitate to say that he's a proven commodity. You have to remember he did not play full-time at left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, was forced there due to an injury last year. Now his – Rating was very good. A PFF rating, he had no sacks or hits allowed and 389 pass-blocking snaps. That That's pretty tremendous. So I feel like you have a guy who, as Weston said, he is playing in the last year of his rookie contract. And what often happens to guys when they are playing in the last year of the contract? 
a lot of times they have a big year because they want to get paid. doesn't matter if you're a running back, if you're a defensive end who needs to have a big sack year, if you're a quarterback who needs to have a 5,000-yard uh, passing year, you sometimes will have a very, very, very big year. So for the Chiefs, the way I look at it is you still have a team right now that has a window that is open. I'm not on the same side as all these Chiefs fans. Like, oh, my gosh, we have to massively upgrade our offensive line. It was so bad. Remember, there were a ton of injuries last year. Offensive line wasn't a problem. The health of the offensive line was a problem. And we did not have a Tuvernay Tardif because he you know, went off to do his duty to his country of Canada. And I'm sure that they are extremely grateful for that. But by everything that I've read, and maybe you guys have seen something else, he is planning to be back. So if you can add a piece like Orlando Brown, who had a very good 2020 in halftime as a left tackle, wants to prove himself as a left tackle, which is one of the main reasons he wanted to come to Kansas City. In 2019, he was a very solid, as Weston mentioned, Pro Bowl offensive lineman on the other side. He had the eighth best grade on true pass sets from that right tackle position. I feel like you do have a guy who has proven that he can play at the NFL level. Now, can he play left tackle at the NFL level on a week-in, week-out basis? He's got a chance to prove it this year, but you've got a one-year rental for cheap. This team, this season, let's make no mistake, guys. This is a team that I believe Kansas City thinks can win the Super Bowl this year. And so when you bring a guy in for one year with a wide-open window, if he plays well, Great, sign him. Maybe the Chiefs will give him a franchise tag or be able to extend it for one year. I, I don't know how all that stuff works. But if, if you bring in a guy, and obviously we saw in the Super Bowl what will happen if the Chiefs ever don't have a good offensive line. Like I said, last year, that was a very special set of circumstances and a very special year where guys got hurt. There were a lot of injury problems, and one of their starters opted out of the season. So when you bring in a guy like Orlando Brown, I think he's got the potential to really be a very good left tackle based on his body, based on his lineage. His dad played in the NFL, and I loved in the interview, he said all the right things about how he doesn't feel like he's proven enough yet, that he wants to prove to himself, to the league, to his family, that he can be that guy on the left side. I like the move, and so I'm excited for Orlando Brown. Whether the Chiefs gave up too much or not enough, I don't really care. I like Orlando Brown. I think he's going to help the offensive line for Kansas City, and I would love to see how he works with Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how mobile Orlando Brown is. Mahomes is going to be a very active pocket. You would think coming from a system that has Lamar Jackson that he would be very used to slotting in to a quarterback, protecting a quarterback that can run around a lot. So from all those aspects, I like the signing, Tommy, and I think that he could be a really good fit in red and gold. The only thing I'll correct you on uh, in, in what you were saying is is when you brought up uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but he now pronounces his name Tardy Dariff uh, if you follow Chris Sims on uh, Twitter. Uh, Chris Sims completely botched Is that botched a real stat? Is that a real thing? Yeah, Chris Sims completely botched his name and called him Tardy Dariff. Uh, unfortunately, a couple weeks ago. So, oh, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I thought you actually said this. The reason I asked is because this happens in tennis literally every year where a pro will come out and they'll say, oh, you need to say my name. Novak Djokovic did this for like six straight 
turn seasons, changed his name, and finally we got it. Okay, it's going to be Djokovic, and just shut up about it already. So I actually thought I may have made a mistake there. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you know, I'll tell you my my philosophy on this whole Orlando Brown trade is sort of the same thing that you guys have been talking about. Um, really, the only risk there for Kansas City is if they're not able to get a long-term deal done with him. I would have a lot, a lot more um, ease, I think, with all of this if Orlando Brown had come into Kansas City and said, not only did I get traded to the Chiefs, but I'm going to start to negotiate a long-term deal with Brett Veach right away. And obviously he didn't do that. And I understand why. You know, I think he wants to play this final year and then see what happens to him on the free market. I, I don't blame him one bit. If I were Orlando Brown, I would probably do the same thing. You've been playing on your rookie contract. You're not making a ton of money, but you've been playing at a level to where you can make a lot more money. And so if he can you know, have great success in Kansas City, then the free market will determine what he should be getting paid next. And can Kansas City match that? I don't know. That would be something that would you know they have to find out at the end of the season. But I do understand from his perspective why he didn't start to begin to negotiate a new contract with Kansas City right away. But as a Chiefs fan, you kind of wish that he would. In fact, you definitely should wish that he did that, considering you don't have to worry then about the fact that you've traded these draft picks away uh, for what potentially, Blake, you said, can kind of amount to a one-year rental at left tackle for Kansas City. The one thing I do like about this move is that, you know, we all know that Orlando Brown requested the trade from Baltimore. We know that he was ready to move on not because of any ill will towards the Ravens, but because he wanted to play left tackle. That was his natural position. That was the position that he was not playing with Baltimore. And so he wanted to play there, and he's going to be able to, you would think, in theory, uh, be able to excel in that position that he wanted to play all along with the Chiefs. So overall, with all the different additions on offensive line, I mean, it's, it's going to be a completely different-looking offensive line this coming season as it was last year, you know, as opposed to last year. You know, with uh, you know, with Orlando Brown there, Joe Thune uh, is there. Kyle Long came out of retirement to join the Chiefs, so it's going to be a new look offensive line for Kansas City. Uh, it'll be exciting to see what will happen for the Chiefs this coming season, as far as they you know are protecting Patrick Mahomes. Weston, as far as the overall draft is concerned, now that really it looks like offensive line has been taken care of, let's talk a little bit about the pressing needs for Kansas City entering into this year's draft. We know they do not have, as of right now, a first-round draft pick. Their first pick will be that 58th overall pick that they received from the Ravens. What are some of the top needs that Kansas City has going into the draft? Yeah, I think there's three positions that really come to mind when I'm thinking of it. I think for sure you know, a wide receiver and or playmaker, I also could see them potentially going the backup tight end route, but I think wide receiver – then um, certainly a, a, a true uh, five tech defensive end, so or not, five or seven, because you get Tano Passanio is, is gone now. So hand in the dirt defensive end. We're not talking about an edge rusher, hand in the dirt defensive end. And then I think an off ball linebacker are, are the three positions. Cornerback is all, always depth in the secondary, is always something you're looking at. You know, depth on the offensive line is something you're always looking at. But I think the three positions they particularly are, are planning on addressing it, it through the draft and, and early is going to be linebacker, wide receiver, and defensive end. So, as far as, you know, kind of the, the top need, though, I mean, I think you can always look at the Chiefs' defense. I mean, obviously, wide receiver is there. 
tight end is probably there. That's not going to probably be a second or third round pick, right? For the offensive positions, we're really looking at maybe a defensive end or maybe even a linebacker early on. I don't think so. I, I really think I think this move put them in a position, and, and I'm not so much saying whether you agree or not. My thought is the Chiefs believe that the, the roster is in a balanced enough position where they can now take best available. And I think that's somewhere where Brett Veach always wants to be. I mean, just like last year, certainly running back is not something that you you know you thought that they were going to go for. I mean, you've just heard a lot of things about what he wanted, and then they and then they do go Clyde edwards helaire um, you know, because they were in a position, I I think, to to take that talent. Um, but you know, this year I I really do think they've put themselves in a position. I really think second and third round. I think you're probably looking at linebacker and wide receiver um particularly I, th- I think a couple a couple of names that I'm, i've kind of been i don't know playing around with and as you know this can be so hard because it you know one little domino can have such a ripple effect on the whole draft but i think a, a name that i keep coming back to is dylan moses who's a linebacker from alabama um he's he's got great coverage skills so i think that what he can do is you've already got willie gay anthony hitchens pretty much in your in your two down i mean kansas city plays majority out of the nickel so you're only getting two linebackers on the field at most most of the time um but you know even in three down sets he can he can slide into that uh, Will linebacker that weak side linebacker position let Willie Gay play the strong side and then that gives you so much flexibility with down distance position football because you've got you know you can bring Anthony Hitchens in when when you're in those run situations you can slide him off the field and have Dylan Moses or a linebacker of his versatility um, you know into that position and have two great coverage linebackers because Willie Gay does great in coverage too and that's you know modern football that's what we're really looking for is being able to stop that passing game um, but not giving up too much with the run and then I think uh, the other name that I, I don't know that I've heard this out there but I'm kind of interested in is and I may screw this up but it's Simi Fahoko uh, from wide receiver from Stanford big body wide receiver. I think he came in at, at 6'4 or 6'5, like 227, ran a 4'3'8, but that was at a pro, I mean, that's at the Stanford Pro Day, so that number's going to be, of course, it's always beneficial when you when you're, when you get to host the the pro, pro Day. It's never as good when it is at the Combine, but um, that's, I really think that's where they're going to go. I think maybe Nate Hobbs, cornerback out of Illinois, or that position as well, um, but, you know, I think they're really going to, going to draft as the board falls to them so i i wouldn't be surprised if they go edge i wouldn't be surprised if they go corner i wouldn't be surprised you know if they take maybe a guard or a center because that's the way the board fell i really think part of the move to bring in orlando brown and not so much part of the move because obviously it's, it's finding that starting left tackle but the reason they were willing to give up compensation was they felt it also put them in a good position to be able to draft best available and not feel like they have to reach for a position. Um, and one other note that I heard, I don't know what this means. I'll let you guys see if you, if you know. Uh, Brett Veach has been quoted saying that he thought the back half of the second round was a hot zone for draft picks, which he made that comment prior to you know trading the the up, basically trading that third and going up in the second half, two seconds in the back half of that uh second round so i I think that's going to be that'll be interesting to see what they do and i know he must like the talent pool there listen the the one of the reasons why i I always disliked draft talk when i was in sports radio is because there is no truth in any of this discussion this time of year you you can spam that all you want 
Coaches will literally say anything. It doesn't matter what they say. They will say, oh, this is a hot zone. We want to do this. And, oh, this is our guy, a quarterback, whatever. And then guess what on draft day? They will do the exact opposite of what they've been telling you for three months. So I don't care what any of these coaches say about their guy, who's drafting a quarterback, whatever. It it means it's junk. It doesn't mean anything because they are liars. And by the way, I'm, I'm not begrudging them for being liars. They should have their team's best interests at mind. And if that means they need to hold the cards close to the vest and lie to teams to, to create interest, we've seen that before. Like, oh, boy, I think they're going to take this guy. They had no intention of taking this guy. They wanted to get people to trade up for their spot so they could get a better deal and take the guy they really wanted 10 picks down the line and have, you know, first, second, third rounder. That's all they're doing. That's all this is, is just negotiation. This is, if you are a poker fan, this is the poker of the NFL. Bluffing teams, making moves, making plays. And if you're into that sort of thing, great. It's fantastic mind games that these GMs are playing with one another. But in terms of what it actually means, I I don't think it means anything. Uh, The only thing I disagree with is I don't know if the Chiefs need another playmaker. I mean, they have playmakers at every position. They've got the quarterback. They've got Clyde Edwards-Solaire. Now, with Damian Williams being released, what will that look like? I don't know if Le'Veon Bell is coming back. Kind of sounds like he's not coming back to Kansas City. What does the offense look like with only one really established running back coming back for Kansas City? You've got Tyreek Hill at the wide receiver spot. You've got the best tight end in the league. So I don't know if I agree that they need a playmaker. I do agree with Weston that I think that they will take the best available player. And, I mean, when you describe the Alabama linebacker, I mean, what are teams doing now in the NFL? Most of them are throwing the football. So if you can tell me that you're going to get me a linebacker who played at Alabama, think that they had a pretty good program over the last few years, and a guy who can be in coverage and can also slide down to defend the run, that sounds like a pretty good pick to me. So, Weston, you've sold me on the Alabama linebacker in the second round, but in terms of what you know the GMs say and what it actually means, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. The GMs, this time of year, should not be trusted to tell their wife what they had for lunch, must, much less what they're actually going to do on draft day. I mean, you you can spam that horn all you want. Doesn't make me wrong. Apparently, so Blake Blake is, Blake is not in on uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence going number one. That that's definitely not. We can't believe that that's happening. We cannot believe that Zach Wilson's going number two. We can't believe that the 49ers are taking a quarterback. I'm just saying that's out there. That's going to happen. I, I get what you're saying. There's a lot of smoke screens, but I think you can pick and choose what what means something and what doesn't. It's all speculation. It's all just for fun at this point, right? I mean, it's really. You know, like you said, I mean, oh, it, I know. It, it's mock draft season. It's talking about what the Chiefs might do, and then, and, and you know, it, it it'll be the the discussion we care about is what did they do? But I mean, I get it. Sports radio needs content. You need something to talk about. I I get it. I understand it. But there's a million. And Trevor Lawrence may end up very well. End up going number one. And you know where Justin Fields goes. That's a big question in the draft because a lot of people say he should be the number two quarterback. It sounds like with projections, it's going to be down at the end of the first round. But to me, it it doesn't matter. What you know, like I said, 
I would not trust these coaches at all to tell me anything. I would not trust them to tell me that gravity works downwards right now at this according time of to, year. Uh, Don't Western trust. Mills. You know, the other... I was just going to say, according to Weston Mills mock draft, Justin Fields actually going number seven to the Bears as they move up, uh, make a trade with the Lions. And also, Weston Mills has his own draft. Wow. When, when is that getting featured next to Well, I'll be tweeting it out from the Keeper McShay. of the Games uh, Twitter account shortly following uh, this airing so we will, uh, <laughs> so our fans can follow along, see how well I did or didn't do. I would just like to point out that a year ago, when we did our very first draft edition of Keeper of the Games, uh, Weston posted his entire mock draft on our website, and I went back and looked at it later. And it was incredibly inaccurate. Like there were very few, but it's, it's <laughs> relative. Panned out the it, way it's got to be all relative. How did it, how did I do compared to what does that or McShay or Daniel Jeremiah? Uh, okay. And I don't even. I don't. How did you I do compared to Kai Kai really No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. The the final thing that I'll say about the the draft before we move on is that, you know, the, when you look back at Kansas city a year ago, you know, we spent a long time talking about all of the, the pressing needs that the chiefs had. Now, obviously they had just come off a super bowl victory. And so we were kind of talking about best available, but then there were some needs. Like I remember we talked a lot about the secondary needing help and, you know, cornerback position needing help. We talked, you know, offensive line at that point. I mean, there were a couple of positions that really seemed like the the direction that the Chiefs were going to go. We didn't talk at all about a running back out of LSU named Clyde edwards Lair <laughs> that yeah. was taken in the first round by Kansas City. So, you know, you want to talk about playmakers. I'm not saying the Chiefs are going to do that two years in a row. But when there is an exciting, dynamic player and there really isn't at this point a need that is slapping the chiefs in the face really offensive line was kind of that need. They got that taken care of through free agency mm-hmm. through trades. You know, you have to think there might be an opportunity where when the chiefs get into the second round, they are just going to take whoever the best available player is. If it happens to be an edge rusher, so be it. If it happens to be somebody in the secondary, so be it. If it happens to be a wide receiver or tight end, so be it, but they're going to take the best available player and then just go from there. So that is a luxury of having a team that has made it to two straight Super Bowls, has a Super Bowl championship, has gone to three straight AFC championship games. You have that luxury a little bit when you have a complete football team of being able to take the best available player. And so that wouldn't surprise me one bit if that's what the Chiefs did. Any final thoughts, Weston? I know that, you know, draft time is it's like Christmas for you. So, you know, we're recording this the night the <laughs> night before the draft happens. So it's gotta be like Christmas Eve right now for you. Any final thoughts, any parting shots on the NFL draft as it relates to the Chiefs? Yeah. So the only other couple things I'll add, and it's not so much Chiefs, but it is it is local. A couple of names to keep an keep an eye on. You know, so Puka Williams is probably gonna get drafted. He'll probably go in the back five, six, seven rounds. Uh, Khalil Herbert, I actually, uh, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure, I mean, of course you guys remember him. I can't, where did he, where did he actually play last year? Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. That's right. I, uh, I actually think that's that's a name that I would keep in mind as you talk about what the Chiefs are doing to fill that, 
lack of depth now at the running back spot. I think that kind of, I think he contrasts a little bit with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That would be a nice fit. Not saying I've seen that or, or I'm not sure how early he would go if the chiefs would take him that early, but I think that would be a fit. And then another name I, I think will be really interesting is Wyatt, Wyatt Her, uh, Hubert out of uh, Kansas state. I actually think he would be a very nice fit uh, someone that potentially could come in and compete for a starting job when we while we have a defensive end spot open. I will say he is a little bit smaller than Steve Spagnuolo likes his defensive lineman, uh, but uh, we took Mike Dana last year and he had a lot of success. Spags had a lot of success with with Mike Dana, so I think he's open to taking a smaller defensive end to fit that spot. I think he'd be a nice fit for a guy who's proven you know he understands the art of pass rushing. He might not have the numbers that jump off the chart as far as speed and size and strength. But he just gets to the quarterback, and that's what we need. So uh, a couple of local names, I think, to, to really watch in this draft, and it'll be exciting to see where, the, where they land. Well, the first round of the NFL draft kicks off on Thursday night. Of course, Kansas City does not have a pick in the first round of the NFL draft, and so don't really have to worry about that until the second round comes around unless some kind of trade happens with Kansas City trading back in the first round, but not, I doubt that will happen. Uh, but we'll make sure to keep an eye on it. And uh, next week on the program, we'll give you a breakdown of who those draft picks are for Kansas City. Let's transition into the University of Kansas and their search for a new head football coach. Now, as recently as Tuesday, guys, you know, we always put out the rundown of the show. We always talk about, all right, what what order are we having our topics and breaking them down? As recently as Tuesday, we had this on the rundown, but it was pretty far down on the list. We're moving it up because the search, it looks like, is heating up for the new head football coach at the University of Kansas. At the time of this recording, there is still not an official announcement on who the new head football coach will be for the Jayhawks this upcoming season. However, multiple sources and multiple reporters and journalists are reporting that it is now down to a two-horse race between Lance Leopold from Buffalo and Jeff Munkin from Army. There are some other candidates that have been in the mix, however, as recently as just a couple of hours ago on Wednesday from the time that we're recording the show. Uh, there have been other reporters that have said some of those other names like Skip Holtz, who is currently the head football coach at Louisiana Tech is no longer in the mix. Uh, Mike Elko, who is at Texas A&M, is no longer in the mix. Those have not been confirmed yet, but there are a lot of sources that are saying that's the case. So as of right now, it does look like those two names are Leopold and Munkin, Buffalo and Army, as the two leading candidates to lead the Jayhawks program moving forward. So Blake, I will start with you. Uh, I know that uh, I, I've, I've seen you be active on Twitter a little bit as it comes down to this search and sort of relates to what's going on with that. You seem to be a little bit nervous about what this pick is going to look like for the Jayhawks football program. I'd love it if you elaborated and explained how you're feeling right now about this pick. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, somebody said, you know, it was a Kansas State uh, radio guy who hosts uh, up at KMAN and does pregame, postgame. Uh, Mr. Kurtz, who's a great guy. I've, I've, I've had uh, professional uh, contact with him. He's he's been a really good guy, but he asked, "Should Kansas State fans be concerned?" I said, "Well, I'm not your target demographic, but I'm concerned." And the reason is because KU's botched every single one of these since the one they did in 2002. So, what makes you think they're going to get this one right? If you're not concerned, then you are insane because the last hires that they have done, literally all of them, have been complete debacles and failures. Okay. Turner Gill, failure. 
Charlie Weiss, failure. David Beatty, failure. Les Miles, they're all failures. They get an F grade. They have done nothing. They all have losing records. And, you know, Les Miles came in, oh, we're going to have a dominant team. Where, where is that dominant team? It's not playing in Lawrence, Kansas, okay? The way that they talked up Turner Gale when they brought him in, like he was going to be the savior and restore respectability back on campus, that lasted two seasons. Charlie Weiss, bombastic, probably exciting for the fan base like Les Miles was, but amounted to nothing. And David Beatty amounted to nothing. So there, there is, there should be very, very little confidence among KU football fans that they're actually going to get this right. Now I understand there was a new athletic director. We had a new AD when they made the last hire, and Shane Zenger was a new AD when he made a couple of his hires. So that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about KU getting this wrong because Weston, at this point in KU's life cycle, where things are going and there's talk of conference realignment maybe rearing its ugly head again in three to seven years from now, I don't want KU to be in a bad spot with its football program, and there is very little reason for me to believe that it won't be in a bad spot based on past track records. KU does not do a good job at hiring football coaches. It never has. I'd like to think that at some point they will be, but there's no evidence to believe that that's going to change well, with this hire. Don't worry. I'm going to bring some positivity to this. I know we can't talk KU football without without Blake just, I would just like some absolutely just raining poop from the sky down on the Kansas football program. We can never get any positivity out of this guy. That, that's and, called so reality, Weston. I'm excited about where they're at with, with these two, with, with uh, Leopold and Jeff Munkin. And I am all in – on Jeff Munkin. I won't be disappointed if it's Leopold. I do think you're going to get some uh, quick criticism from the fans if you hire another Buffalo coach after the last disappointment uh, from hiring a Buffalo coach. But <laughs> I'm all in on Jeff Munkin, and here's why. First of all, I cannot imagine there are many places in the nation that is tougher to win than Army. I mean, you have to literally commit four years to serving in the United States military to go and play on that football team. That's a tough ask of a lot of really good football players out there. It's a lot of players that would never even for a second consider Army, even if Army was a dominant program, because they're just not going to commit to that. Second, I love the idea of someone that has put forth such a regimented, um, you know, I'm going to use the word strict, but it, that probably is not the right word for it. But, you know, regimented, structured uh, guided program because that's what Kansas needs. I think whether you think Jeff Munkin is the guy to do that, I think we can all agree after the last, you know, 10 years of football. Stru- is the word you're looking structure, for? Structure, organization, you know, direction, a plan is what is needed. And it sounds like he's been the guy. I mean, he's he was that guy at Army. You have to be that guy at Army. And it sounds like, from what we've heard so far, Mike Vernon tweeting his hearings, uh, the plan that Jeff Munkin has put forward has been impressive. Third, I actually like the idea of zigging while everyone's zagging or zagging while everyone's zigging, whatever this correct saying is. Now we keep hearing, look, Munkin is more of a CEO. He's going to run a program. He's involved in the offense. He's involved in the defense, but he will have an offensive coordinator that has some freedom to structure that. But he runs the triple option at Army, right? And that's not going to entirely go away. He's not going to have a choice but to adapt some sort of 
uh, much more pass friendly in the Big 12. I think you'd have to to keep up, but keeping a decent amount of smash mouth football that all the other teams in the Big 12 are not seeing, I think is a fantastic idea. When you're already a struggling program, putting a product on the field that is is just hard to pick up with one week of preparation is only going to help that team get to the point where they're winning some football games and maybe winning football games that they weren't supposed to win, but you start winning and that helps bring kids into the program and you get better recruits and so on and so forth. So I don't know. For those reasons, I, I'm excited about the prospect of Jeff Munkin. Um, I, you know, I, I do think that we're certainly probably at risk of, of lo- losing some of the recruiting momentum we had, but you know, like Blake said, and, and I can agree with this, you know, you don't really know where those kids, you know, how they're going to pan out, what, what they're going to do. So certainly I think having a plan, a structure, some guidance in place is way more important than keeping one or two or three, you know, three-star guys. I mean, our only four-star guy, Quay Davis, we had to de-offer or whatever the word is there because of his uh, domestic issues. So, and he was a wide receiver. So you're not even worried about bringing in a triple option guy and then losing your highest recruit. Cause he wants to go play in a pass happy offense. Cause he's gone anyways. So I, you know, I don't think there's any risk of that. And I, you know, and so I, I'm excited about the, where they've landed and, and mostly I think we're all just excited to have a name, right. Just to, to move forward. I mean, a new name just means at least, at least the next step, where that, whether that step is the right way, the wrong way, at least it's the next step. I think we're all ready to take that next step. Yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, one clarification about Jeff Munkin, uh, it does sound like if he ends up coming to Kansas from people that maybe have seen his plan or know a little bit about his plan, that he will not solely bring the triple option right. to KU, that he might bring parts of the triple option to KU, but there will be other different kinds of, you know, offensive schemes that come into play uh, if he ends up as the KU coach. But I do agree with the whole zigging while others zag or, you know, whatever that saying is Blake. One thing that I'll bring up to, to go back to what you were talking about um, is that I think the biggest difference between what's happening right now with Travis Goff and this search compared to previous searches is that we actually have competent people who are running the search now. We actually have people who are reasonable. We actually have people who are rational. I'm not saying that Shane Zinger was not rational or reasonable, but I don't necessarily think that he had maybe the best pedigree in the world to be able to hire a coach. You know, and we've seen different ways that different ADs have gone about things, you know, and it's kind of gone back and forth. Turner Gill was the disciplinarian after all of the issues that Mark Mangino had and was, you know, Mangino was forced out. That only lasted a couple of years. Then they went with the big name. That was Shane Zinger going for a big splash, a big hire in Charlie Weiss, which was a disaster. The big hire didn't work out. So let's go with the no name, somebody that can be an up and comer with David Beatty, who was in way over his head. And then of course we all know about Jeff Long wanting to hire his friend and another big name in Les Miles. At least now we know that Travis Goff is going after somebody uh, that has a pedigree that is a proven winner. And one thing I'll say about both of these guys is they both know how to win. Lance Leopold at Buffalo has won six division three national titles. He's 24 and 10 at Buffalo. They only had two winning seasons in the previous two decades. Monken is 43 and 21 at a place that only had one winning season in the 17 years before he arrived. So both of these guys are program builders. They both know how to do it in really difficult places from the ground up. I'm not saying that 
either one of them is going to be wildly successful at Kansas. We don't know that. None of us have a crystal ball, but at least we know that these guys have a proven pedigree to win at places where it's difficult to do so. And that's what both Leopold and Munkin are known for. I also think that what makes this search a little bit different from previous searches, especially like when David Beatty was hired and then Les Miles being hired, is the roster is in a better position now. It's not good by any means, but it is in a better position right now than it was for those previous two hires. We all know about how Charlie Weiss absolutely decimated the program with all the transfers, the JUCO guys coming in and the scholarship numbers and all of that. That's been kind of rebuilding over the last couple of years. That is one positive that I will say about David Beatty and Les Miles is they both make concerted efforts to try to fix that roster. And so I'm not saying it's fixed, but it is in a better position than it was before, which is probably why you're seeing a little bit of a higher pedigree of coaches being interested in the job. So that's kind of my takeaway from this. I like Lance Leopold. I like what he's been able to do over the course of his entire career. And then going to a place like Buffalo where he's taking them to bowl games. And it's not like Buffalo ever went to bowl games before. That's what he did. I think he can do the same thing at Kansas. But again, I don't think you can go wrong with, with either guy. As far as the, the, the timeline is concerned, Blake, we know that the spring football game is coming up for Kansas this weekend. Emmett Jones is still the interim football coach. Do you think it's the right move if Travis Goff can land on a name officially, they get everything taken care of, to have this coach announced prior to this weekend? Or should they let Emmett Jones coach the spring game without any other kinds of distractions and then roll out the new coach maybe next week? I don't think it really matters, to be honest, to me. I mean, I think definitely you should tell. I, you know what? I might go to to Coach Jones and ask him what he prefers. And by the way, we've you've mentioned, Tommy, we've heard all these other names that have been disqualified from the coach, not because the, you know they, they pulled their name out, but just because it sounds like KU has kind of eliminated Holtz. So it sounds – I have not heard Coach Jones' Jones's name, you know, removed. I haven't heard that that he is not going to be – he's not a candidate for the job currently. So maybe that's going to be a, a shocking hire. I don't expect that to happen. I'm just saying, you know, for the purposes of this discussion, maybe we should treat it like it is a three-man race, although – as you mentioned, most all of the reports, 99, in fact, I think 100% of the reporting is saying it's down to those two guys. I, I, to me, it doesn't really matter. I think it's okay to let to, to make the hire on – if you're going to do it on Saturday, you should do it after the game. Um, but if you're going to make the hire on Friday, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You're stealing thunder from an interim football coach. If you want to let him coach and do it next week, I don't, it doesn't make any difference to me. So with one of you on one side and one of you on the other side, I, and by the way, Tommy, can we appreciate Weston Mills actually picking a side that's not on the top of the fence? Congratulations, Weston, on that. Fantastic job. I'm going to break the tie. I'm actually over on Weston's side of the fence, believe it or not. I like Munkin. It, it is a different style. KU is never going to get, at least I don't believe, that KU is going to get the top-level AAA five-star rated athletes. They never have. And by the way, it doesn't mean you can't win if you don't have five-star AAA athletes. I think you can. KU won 
with Mark Mangino playing good defense, getting guys into a system, you know, the pass happy offensive system that Key run under Mark Mangino was a little bit more revolutionary at the time. It cut against the grain a little bit more than it does now. Now everybody's running that that thing. I think the triple option would do that. And I wouldn't mind the triple option coming in its entirety to Kansas. I like being that counterpunching team in the Big 12, especially where you're going to be focused on defense. It certainly sounds like Munkin is going to be a guy that wants to have the best defense in the conference. And I've seen, uh, not that this has been a, a vocal majority of KU fans on Twitter, but guys like, oh, I don't want to have people come in and run an offense. It's not any fun to watch. Really? Is 0-9 that fun to watch? You know, in terms of the <laughs> roster, how good can the roster be when they didn't win a single game last year? So, you know, I, I don't know what the roster says. Uh the thing that I come back to is exactly what you said, Tommy. He built a program because Army was garbage. They had one winning record between 97 and 2013. He's got him in four bowl games in five years. So, Weston, I'm with you. I'm with Munkin. But you were initially on Emma Jones as a guy to come in, be given the reins for up to a year to run the program what will your thoughts be on him still being a candidate? I think he should still be a candidate at this point. I'm not saying he would be my pick, but I, you know, what do you think about him being a candidate and whether or not they make that announcement? To me, it doesn't make a difference, but I haven't heard that he's been eliminated until we hear that he's eliminated. Shouldn't we consider that he's still an option? Yeah, so here's the thing about Emmett Jones. I, I, I think my position was more about the opportunity for Kansas to be able to to sit on a year and, and watch a coach that was you know, that the players were responding so well to more than I was necessarily saying that I think Emmett Jones is is the guy. I thought it was presenting a good opportunity for Kansas to really evaluate evaluate Emmett Jones as a coach with also the understanding that it might be hard to hire someone you know, coming up on the spring season and to be able to, to even get a quality candidate. But I think now that we've kind of narrowed things down to, to Lance Leopold and, and Jeff Monk, and I think, you know, a lot of us do think that, that they were able to find a couple of quality coaches. But I do think also, you know, I from a will it affect next season standpoint, I don't think whether you announce the coach tomorrow, Friday, Saturday after the spring game, I don't think it matters, but I think to those players, it does. I think you let them have their spring game. You know, I do think it, it kind of has a little overclouding effect of their spring game. I don't think it'll affect their play next year, but just let them have, you know, they've worked so hard in the spring. I, I think you let them have the moment. I think you let Emmett Jones have the moment. And then right after that, you say, okay, hey, now we're taking the next step forward as the program. So, again, I think it's a small detail, but I think I think if you ask the locker room, I think those players wouldn't, wouldn't want to have any disruptions between now and the time the game's played. Wow, Tommy, you missed it right there. That that you were supposed to do an accurate take horn right there. That was an accurate take from Weston Mills. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't thought about what the players. That's a great point. The the players should be respected, and it is their day, isn't it? That's a that's a really good point. I give you I give you credit. I tear him down when he deserves it, Weston. That was a great point. I give you credit. Accurate take horn should have been played, okay. Weston or uh, sorry, right. Tommy. That's an E on the host host E right there. You know, I bring, I the, love I bring how, the accurate. 
I bring the accurate takes, you know, time and time again, and I'm just glad you're finally starting to okay. recognize them. One, like I know that you've time. been missing that, but it's one time. Let's let's not get crazy here. It's one time. I just love I just love Blake how you decide that you want to come in and hijack the hot take horn and turn it into an accurate take horn. <laughs> Somebody has which to is do the it most, correctly. That's the most it's the most boring way to ever play one of those sounds when somebody is accurate. And so uh, I just don't like the fact that you've commandeered that for your own gratification. I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, um, I just have to stay on brand, Tommy. Don't you get it? Uh, Apparently so. Uh, So that's where that's where things stand right now. Lance Leopold and Jeff Munkin, according to a lot of the national reporters, including uh, including Dennis Dodd from CBS, Pat Ford from Yahoo, Bruce Feldman. uh, Several others have all kind of said that KU is zeroing in on one of those two guys. And the way it tends to work on this podcast, for sure, is that. We always talk about the topic and we always say, yeah, we don't have any other kind of update. And then by the time the show airs, we'll probably have a new coach at KU. That's kind of the way that our schedule works around here. But yeah, go ahead. So uh, I don't know if you guys saw Mike Vernon. He did tweet towards the end of the day, early evening, that he has noted that Kansas catering has a catered event tomorrow at one of the event halls that didn't mean anything to me, but I'm assuming it has some sort of tie to the athletic program and that he could not find any other corresponding event on the KU calendar. No orchestra, no band, no. Do you you have a name of the building? Yeah, it's the lead Uh, center. There you go. ah, That's that's uh, for a football hiring. That thing is huge. <laughs> well, it's COVID, not even so close to the it's, it's, keep things. It's on the West Campus. It's way far away from the athletic offices. I I don't know. That sounds like a little bit of Just a whamboozle hey. there from Mr. Vernon. You know, <laughs> the, bottom, the, bottom line, the, the bottom line is that what used to be cool was tracking chartered flights around the country. <laughs> now what's cool is tracking catering at different buildings. That's well, <laughs> how we, we start to get our scoops. Well, it just happened like, like it. when Patrick Mahomes got hired, who, uh, Katie Camlin, I think on Twitter, she tweeted it out. And now she's like some, you know, pseudo internet star because she tweeted like, Hey, so these chiefs guys came in, they bought all this expensive booze. I think Patrick Mahomes just got resigned. She was right. She was right by the way. And she beat Adam Schefter. So it can happen. Well, and, and if Vernon is correct, can. I will apologize. I will, you know, tell tell he's a Nostradamus of KU athletics. I will praise his name to the heavens. But until then, lead center for athletics. I mean, why would you do it over there? It's like it's like a fifteen minute walk. It's like on in another state practically from the rest of the campus. Well, the way it stands right now, it wouldn't uh, shock me one bit or shock probably anybody else if there's a new football coach, at least by our next episode. And so when that happens, we'll make sure to talk about it on the next episode. And of course, you can follow the CogPod Twitter for all of the updates. Let's transition into Kansas City Royals baseball. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me let me let me preface that by saying first place. Kansas City Royals baseball. I'm sorry. Let me preface that again by saying best record in the American League, Kansas City Royals baseball. They set right now at 14 and 8. However, they're about to beat the Pittsburgh Pirates to move to 15 and 8 at the time of this interview. Barring some sort of late game collapse, the Royals look to get another victory here and uh, 
continue to hold that lead in the AL Central, continue to have the best record in the American League. Depending on what the Dodgers do, guys, they could have the best record in all of baseball. So, Weston, I'll start with you. I know you had an opportunity to see these guys in person front and center a week ago. One of the discussions that Blake and I had a week ago on the program was whether or not this early start for Kansas City is fool's gold or if it's legitimate. We haven't had a chance to have to have you weigh in on this debate. Where do you think the Royals stand right now? Is this success they're having early on legitimate and a sign of things to come? Or is it just kind of a mirage in the desert? Blake, I'm back. I'm going to ride the fence, baby. Let's do it. I uh, So here's... <laughs> Here's the thing. I think this team has a lot of talent. I think they have every opportunity to win the AL Central. But if you look at some of the teams they've played in the beginning of the year, I mean, they had they opened the season three games with the Rangers. They had three games against the Angels. They had five, well, or sorry, four games against the the, the injure, injured Toronto Blue Jays. Um, just had a four game series with the Tigers, and now a two game set with the Pirates. Those are not very good baseball teams. Now, they took one of three uh, from the Rays. They they split with the White Sox. Um, they split with the Indians. So, you know, I, I think if you kind of look at some quality opponent, um, you know, I think to think that they're going to finish with the best record in the American League is a little foolish. <laughs> if And I said this from the beginning. Do I think they can compete for a playoff spot in potentially the AL Central? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think they have that talent. I think – and here's the the thing about baseball that is different than football, well, maybe not so much basketball, but at least from football, is you get yourself in a position to be competitive, to, to go get a playoff spot. Come the trade deadline, you can fill in some of those weak spots you have by trading away some of your minor prospects without altering your roster. So, you know, if the Royals are in a great position come July – and they and pitching is still the weakness, they can go out and get one or two arms to make that pitching staff better. If they're missing a, one bat, they can go out and get that one bat to make the team better. So I think you have to be excited. I think you certainly have to believe that this team is a, is a good baseball team, potentially a very good baseball team. But I think you just got to pause a little bit when you look at some of the quality opponents they've they've beat up on um, isn't the best. And that's not to say you can beat up on, on bad. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do when you're a very good baseball team. You're supposed to beat the bad teams. I just want to see them beat a, a few more of the better opponents, even particularly just within the, the division. And then, and then I'll be ready to take a little bit harder of a stance. To quote the immortal Aaron Rodgers, R-E-A-R-E-L-A-X. We relax. <laughs> just relax. Wait, how did you spell relax again? R-E-L-A-X. Relax. They just swept the Tigers. The Tigers are terrible. Just like my spelling almost was. I did correct it. Their they their run differential is minus 35. Their expected win-loss is 8 and 16, which is exactly what it is. There is no metric that says that Detroit is any good at all they're terrible the texas rangers are terrible kansas city is four and five against teams who are at or above 500 can we just let them have this moment for just a second they're going to go to 15 and 9 probably you know that but they have played 
nobody. There's no reason to not be optimistic. I'll agree with you there. There are plenty of reasons to be optimistic. Hunter and Dozier and Jorge Soler, even though they're having bad batting averages, they're hitting the ball hard. And I, somebody said like they had a uh, hardest hit ball of the night was had an expected batting average of nine ten last night, and Hunter Dozier had a line out that had a one hundred ten mile per hour exit velocity. So okay, they're hitting the ball hard now. They're getting a little unlucky. So I will give you that. The Royals still have a bit of an enigma in the starting rotation because we still don't know exactly what they're going to get out of Brad Keller because he's been somewhere. Brad between- Keller pitched. He pitched great. Yeah. He pitched great the other night. He has two really great starts and three starts where I could have gone out there and given up what he did. Terrible. Three terrible starts. So if you want to forget that, go ahead. I have not forgotten. They still have problems in the bullpen. Wade Davis. Average. Greg Holland, average. Who do you turn to out of the bullpen? I like Scott Barlow. I like Josh Stallman. Maybe Tyler Zuber can show some more consistency. Danny Duffy has been tremendous in his four starts. Brady Singer has pitched well. Junis has been solid in six appearances. But, Tommy, here's the deal. The Royals are seventh in ERA. They are eighth in OPS. They are ninth in runs. They are 11th in whip in the American League. Does that sound like the best team in baseball to you? No. You can be optimistic. You can think that they can compete for a playoff spot. And as of today, they can't. And they are still winning my game. Do the Royals suck? No. They absolutely do not. They are a good team right now. But, Tommy, they have not played anybody. So just relax. It's a winning streak. I get it. They lost it. They're back on it. They're going to beat the Bucks today. But they the winning streak was against the Tigers. It was against the Tigers. Just take a chill pill. Let's wait and have this discussion at Memorial Day. We'll have a much better picture of how things are going then. Here's the thing. You are never, ever, ever going to have a perfect baseball team. Of course. No not. baseball team is perfect. There are always going to be flaws on any squad, on every roster. There's always going to be an issue. Sometimes that issue lasts an entire season. Sometimes that issue flares up from time to time. Sometimes you have multiple issues. The teams that can manage those issues the best typically are the ones that end up winning a lot of ball games, going to the playoffs, and winning a championship. Typically, that's the way that it works. You look at a couple of the teams across Major League Baseball this season that a lot of people projected would be very strong baseball teams. They've gotten off to slow starts. I know that because I'm an Atlanta Braves fan, and a lot of people were predicting the Atlanta Braves to to challenge the Dodgers, challenge the Padres in the National League. The Braves are at 500 right now. They've struggled out of the gate. The Minnesota Twins are another team that people had said they are going to be a powerful baseball team. They, I think their record is like eight and 15 right now. That is correct. They've stumbled. They've stumbled out of the gate. Here's what the Royals have to have. They either have to have solid pitching on any given night, or if they don't have solid pitching, their offense has to take over. We've seen both things happen for Kansas city over the last couple of weeks. Brad Keller, Pitched a pretty good game the other night. Danny Duffy has pitched incredible. He's had quality starts every single time he's taken the mound. 
on Wednesday night, as we're recording this, the game against the Pirates, it looks like the Royals are going to win that game. Mike Miner did not have a good outing. Mike Miner gave up, I think, four runs in his outing. But the Royals offense came to play and they put up nine runs of their own. So the Royals have to find different ways to win. They don't have an elite pitching staff outside of Danny Duffy. And, you know, obviously Brad Keller and and Brady Singer have been a little up and down. They don't have an elite pitching rotation. Their offense isn't dominant all the time. They have to find nights where who's, I hate quoting Rex Hudler again, but (laughs) who's going to drive the bus? And that's really ultimately what Kansas City is looking at. And they have been able to spread the wealth out a little bit and find from night to night different ways to win. Sometimes it's going to be the rotation. Sometimes it's going to be the offense. Sometimes it's going to be the bullpen, but they're finding ways to win. As far as the quality of competition I get it. I understand that. But my point is that they were able to start off the season with a record of 15 and eight, the best record in the American League. Now, obviously, the schedule is going to get more difficult for them, but at least they are out in front right now. At least they got off to a head start as opposed to trying to dig themselves out of a hole. Momentum is a real thing in Major League Baseball. And if you can have solid momentum, especially going into a potentially tough stretch of your schedule, I would rather have that than be five or six games under 500 trying to dig your way out. And so that's kind of where Kansas City is. So yeah, do I think that they are World Series caliber Probably not, but I do like where they're at right now, and I like where they're headed. The only other thing I want to add to this too is is they are. I mean, sitting at fifteen and eight are going to be fifteen and eight, and I don't know how many teams that have the best record in their division, let alone American League or National League, you can easily look at that roster and go, "Oh boy, they also they still have room for improvement just within the confines of of their forty man." I mean. Mondesi is coming back, not to say that he's going to be an improvement here or there, but we all can acknowledge that potential. Mondi comes back and that helps that lineup or, you know, and, and maybe even some would expect that. And then, boy, you certainly have about three, maybe four pitchers that are sitting down in the minor leagues that you think, my God, they could be ready this year to help out if we're not getting, I mean, you got Jackson Kowar. I've been hearing great things about Daniel Lynch. You got Chris Bubich and then certainly Ace Lacey is going to be ready uh, sooner or later. So, I mean, to think that that you are in this position and can still identify ways that this team could get better, I, I think that has to be the most encouraging thing about where they're at right now. Yeah, and I mean, I don't necessarily know. You know, when he comes back, Nicky Lopez has hit. He came into the game today hitting two seventy eight. I mean, that's pretty good. I kind of like what I've seen out of Nicky Lopez so far. He's played pretty well defensively. So yeah, I, I, I'm not as Weston says, making poo-poo rain from the sky. That's not what I'm trying to do. But, you know, (laughs) I am trying to give a dose of reality. There are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Kansas City has played well in a lot of games. Haven't done it against great competition. Still got to get, at some point, Hunter Dozier or Hazel Got to start putting up batting average numbers, not just hitting the ball hard. I think that that will happen. Eventually, you hit the ball hard. It's going to not get hit right out of fielder. Benintendi has played a little bit better. Carlos Santana had a little bit of a run. So, you know, Salvador Perez has come back to reality a little bit. There are a lot of things to be excited about. I I don't know if I would be quite this excited this quickly, Tommy. I would be derelict in my duty as host if I did not mention 
the slash line for one Carlos Santana over the last 10 days, 323, <laughs> 447, 613. Uh, obviously, that's uh, a guy that Blake Cripps was not high on at all. I mentioned him last Kansas week City. on the show. So don't act like I didn't point out Carlos <laughs> Santana. <laughs> Not only not only is he hitting for power, he's also hitting for average uh, for sure. And he's showing that he's a, a hot commodity uh, for Kansas City. And that was a good pickup for the Royals. Uh, the Royals have a uh, they wrap up this uh, series with the Pirates uh, on Wednesday night. And then from there, it looks like actually that game. Uh, has not gone final yet. The Pirates did put up another run in the eighth inning. It is nine to six. We do think, though, that the Royals will probably end up uh, with the victory there. But as far as upcoming games, they have a series uh, on the road against Minnesota, a three game set that kicks off on Friday. And then next week, they're back at the K taking on the Indians for a four game set. So two more teams. I know they are division opponents, but two more teams with records under 500 coming up. For Kansas City. One final note about the Royals before we move on is that uh, they did announce on Wednesday that the Royals will be increasing the capacity inside Kauffman Stadium and that single game tickets will go out, uh, on for the mo- on sale for the month of May uh, on Wednesday. So up to 17,500 fans will now be allowed in the K uh, beginning in May. That's 45% of the sto- total stadium capacity. Good. Uh, so good news there for Royals fans who want to go check out the Royals play. That's our Royals update. Let's get into Shocker softball and Shocker baseball. Both teams struggled a little bit last weekend, actually struggled quite a bit last weekend. Let's start with softball, though. The way things stand right now for Wichita State softball, it was pretty much as close to a slump, I guess you could call it, as the Shockers have had all season long as they did drop three of four games last weekend against USF. Uh, Not a great weekend for Wichita State at home. And then, of course, you go back to that loss that they suffered at the hands of KU on Wednesday, April 21st. So the Shocker softball squad had dropped four of five. They took they lost three of four in that most recent series against USF. But a big bounce back victory for the Shockers on Tuesday night as they took down number 11 Oklahoma State at home. Uh, final score of that game was three to two. That was a big momentum booster for Shocker softball as they enter a pretty crucial week as they take on league-leading Tulsa on the road this weekend. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, matchup with a doubleheader on Saturday. So, Blake, I'll start with you. I, I know it's kind of hard to talk about a team that has been so successful all year entering in a slump, and I don't even know if that's the right term to call what the Shockers had in that series against USF. It was a struggle for them, but it does look like they bounced back nicely. Yeah, I mean, South Florida, like we mentioned, I mean, they were the second place team in the conference at the time. So it's not like they're, you know, just dropping games to some nobody in the American. The thing that I like is you've still got Neely Herring with the game-winning home run in the sixth. But the thing that I think is is even more important than that is Bailey Lang got back to being Bailey Lang. The Shockers offense still not really totally healed up not that they're injured or anything but they've been held to three runs or less in six of their last seven games and the the one game that they scored a lot of runs and they won but even in this win over Oklahoma State three to two however you know you beat a top 15 team they won that series by the way two games to one this year as they played three different times in I think three different months maybe even but you know, to beat a team like that, a program like that, that's really impressive. And here's the at the bottom line, 
Tommy, the softball season, even in college, is long enough. You're going to have a period where, and this goes back to our Royals conversation, you're going to have a period of the year where you play really, really well, and you win way more games than you're supposed to. And you're going to have a period of the year where you're really, really bad, and you lose a lot more games than you are supposed to. And the best teams have more stretches where they're playing near their mean, where they're good, not exceptional, but they're good, and they limit the really, really bad stretches. And it's the same for Wichita State softball. This was a really, really bad stretch that they had. It was a slump, but they've come out on the other side. Need to start hitting the ball a little bit better. But at the end of the day, Weston, if you want to tell me who I'm picking in this series, I'm going to take the team that has two of the best power hitters in the American, Addison Barnard and Madison Peregrine, and two of the best pitchers you would ride or die with, Caitlin Bingham, Bailey Lang, and the best fielding team in the conference, and that happens to be the one that plays over at Wilkins at Wichita State University. So I like the Shocks. They're still a good team. They've still got a matchup with number one in the country coming up. I don't think that they're going to overlook that, uh, overlook Tulsa and look ahead to the Sooners at all. I think they want to win a championship. I think that this team is going to bounce back in the correct way from this. I think that they are going to blow out the Hurricanes. That's my prediction. Four. They're going to take four from Tulsa. That's my prediction. They're going to win the American Athletic Conference. They are going to have sensed the doubt creeping in from themselves, maybe from some of the fans around the conference, maybe other teams who are looking at Wichita State say, okay, we finally got them where we want them. I think they're going to erase all doubt this weekend as they go and plaster Tulsa and take them off the map. That's my prediction what's going to happen. Shockers win Big, big this weekend, Weston. Big. The thing that seems to be, you know, I guess the most positive or, you know, you don't worry about the slump as much with this team is it seems like they continue just to rise to the big moments, right? I mean, not that not that any of the games they lost weren't important. It's certainly not to say that, but they've got six wins over top 25 teams. You know, it just feels like this this team just really rises to the occasion. And then, so I, I like that combination moving forward, whether you're talking about winning the American or making a run, you know, it, it, towards a national championship, even if you wanted to talk like that. But the, <clears throat> the, the other thing is, you know, they win with a, a good combination. They have good pitching, good defense, and they hit the long ball, which I, I, that's just, to me, the perfect combination. I mean, and not to say you can't win other ways. And, and, you know, we certainly, I know we think about back even to the go, going to our Royals conversation, the old Royals days of not hitting any long balls and just no. wearing people out with singles. <laughs> but I, I love what, the long teams that put that consistently hit the long ball, how quickly you can make up a deficit when you do stuff like that. And so I think they're really set up to make, to make a run here. Um, I'm with you. I, I think it's, there's not much more to add other than, you know, like you said, it's the game of baseball, you know, or softball three of 10, is fantastic. Like you, you fail more than you win at this sport. You're going to go through slumps. You're going to go through, you know, times where you've got the yips where you, where you're not, you know, being able to, to dot the black, like some of the pitchers have been able to do throughout the year. There's just going to be times when you just can't hit that. You can't hit those spots. You can't hit the softball the way you were before. And they had that and that's okay. And 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 it's not like they've been getting blown out in these games either. You know, they've been close in all these games. Yeah, so, I mean, and I guess just kind of going back to the beginning, I think what I like the most about this team or what gives me the most confidence for them moving forward and 
to finish out the season to win the American is that they seem to continuously rise when you put those big games, those big moments in front of them. And, and there's no reason to not expect that they're going to continue to do that uh, as we finish up the rest of the season. Well, here's the biggest thing that uh, the Shockers have going for them right now is even though they dropped three of four to USF, who currently is tied for first in the conference with Tulsa, the Shockers are not out of the, the race for a league championship by any stretch of the imagination. Tulsa and USF are tied with the conference record at 12 and three right now. That's a, that's an 800 winning percentage right now for both of those teams. Wichita State is 15, four and one, which is a 775 winning percentage. So they're even after dropping three of four to USF. They're still right on the cusp of being able to take down Tulsa. They might need a little help from USF this weekend. I I don't exactly know who USF is playing this weekend. I didn't look at that. But they're going to need a little bit of help, at least from USF. But they are not out of the conversation at all to win a league championship in the American right now. So I think that had that series against USF really, truly impacted in a big way, the Shockers' uh, chances of winning a league championship – the, the stakes wouldn't be as high this weekend against Tulsa, but they absolutely are. The Shockers have an opportunity to uh, to, to walk out of, of uh, you know, this weekend after their, their series against Tulsa, potentially league champions for sure. So that's going to be a big four-game set. It's on the road at Tulsa beginning on Friday at the Collins Family Softball Complex. And then on Tuesday, like Blake mentioned, the Shockers softball team taking on Oklahoma in that rescheduled game from back, I believe it was in, March wasn't that in March when they were going to play the Sooners that game was rescheduled for uh, Tuesday May 4th that'll be back at home at Wilkins Stadium the final regular season game uh, for the Shocker softball team let's talk a little bit about Shocker baseball right now kind of the same story a little bit for Shocker baseball as Shocker softball a rough weekend for Wichita State uh, on the road at Cincinnati they dropped uh, three of four from the Bearcats over the weekend. They got one win that was on the Saturday matchup. They dropped both games of a doubleheader on Friday and then the finale on Sunday to Cincinnati. They are back in action this weekend for another crucial series in the American as they take on number eight, East Carolina. That's going to be a four-game set doubleheader on Friday and then games on Saturday and Sunday, both at X Stadium. As it stands right now, Blake, the Shockers are fourth in the American Conference right now. They're behind Tulane, East Carolina, and UCF. Uh, the Shockers' overall record right now on the season is 20 and 15. You know, it, it's kind of been an up and down roller coaster season for Shocker baseball. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about how they were riding this huge momentum. They took seven of eight from Houston. It's been a little bit of a, a drop off from that point, but the Shockers still have an opportunity to finish on a strong note. Where do you assess where Shocker Baseball is right now? Well, one name that we didn't mention and probably needs to be mentioned a lot more is Garrett Kosis. I think his injury has been huge. And you look at where the Shockers were after they got done mauling the Cougars of Houston. Kosis was a big part of that series. He led the American in home runs, led the American in RBIs at the time of the injury, broken bone in his wrist in the game that was at Riverfront Stadium. And he's out for the regular season. Might be able to return for the postseason. He was slashing 337, 50, 398. Can I interest you in that? And the Shockers were awful their first two games at Cincinnati. They didn't pitch well. They didn't hit well. And I don't know if you guys listened. Coach Wedge was on his radio show earlier this week 
he was basically saying, we need to find guys who are going to play how we want to play. And if they don't want to play the way I want them to play, they're going to play somewhere else. Then I'm just paraphrasing. Wow. But that's basically what he said, was that we need to get guys in here who are going to be in our program. Because we we he said, I think he said, we've had a long stretch of games where we haven't played very good baseball. And like you said, Tulane is up there in the conference standings. But I think that he was hoping that they would play a little bit better against Cincinnati. So for me, I got to look at Garrett Kosas. They don't have him. Uh, they're still trying to kind of find and tinker with the starting rotation. It's a little bit different this year because normally you've got three game rotations, but they're doing four games in the American to prevent teams from having to play that midweek game for coronavirus. So you're having less contact with other teams, easier to keep kind of a bubble when you're only dealing one team. And so you just have kind of a, a four game set each weekend. So I think that it's a little bit different from how he's going to have to manage the pitching staff moving forward next year. So I think finding that fourth starter has been a little bit of a challenge. Not that it prevented the Shockers from you know decimating Houston, but for me, Weston, you know the pitching's got to get better. They've given up ten hits or more in four of the last five, and the the Shockers have only one game with 10 hits in their last seven and zero games with 10 or more runs over the last seven, only two with more than five runs. So it's been just a stretch here where they haven't pitched it very well. They haven't hit it very well. And when you do that against solid teams and, you know, you better not do that against East Carolina because East Carolina will beat you bad. They're a very, very good team, top 10 in the country and deservedly so. If the Shockers don't turn things around, it could be a very, very ugly weekend for the black and yellow. Yeah, my outlook on Shocker baseball is certainly not as high as it should not be, you know, as softball is. And, and they've kind of got the, the flip effect here of what I was just talking about with, with the with the softball program, where if you look at their against RPI top 100 teams, they are two for 10 against RPI top 100 teams. So, you know, they've kind of got this the, the flip reverse of softball where it's like, okay, you'll yes, yeah, softball's drop some games here and there, but boy, when when you put those those quality opponents out there, they're going out there, they're rising to the occasion, they're getting those wins. The baseball team, that's kind of the flip story, right? They're we're just not getting over the hump to get some of those big wins, some of those big uh, against RPI opponents. Now, they've won some big games that had me meaningful impact to the conference, right? You know, you, you talk about Houston, those kind of things, um, but they're just not getting those quality wins. So I think you have to be a little bit concerned to see what they can do, especially knowing they have, you know, ECU coming up, um, you know, I'm not sure how the, I think they're trending in the wrong direction as we come to, to wind down this season. Tommy, before you wrap up on this, I, I do want to make sure that I don't mischaracterize, you know, Coach Wedge, I mean, he's not here to say exactly what he said. I'm not saying that he was, you know, going to take all of his players out back and get rid of them. But he just basically said, you know, hey, we've got to start playing the the shocker way and the way that we were capable of playing the way that they have shown that they can play this year in order to to, to get back on track. Because, I mean, they've, they've proven that when they are right, they can be really good. And if they can get back to that level before the American tournament, they'll be a tough out. I think that they can, if they play the way they're capable, they're p- capable of staying with everybody, including East Carolina. But I mean, I, I don't think that I'm mincing words or misrepresenting what Coach Wedge said to say that the way the last two series has gone, not exactly what he is envisioning Shocker baseball to be long term. 
the good news for Wichita State is that the the season is is not even close to being over yet. I mean, there's a whole nother month of Shocker baseball to go and, and a great opportunity for Wichita State, you know, to start to get some of those program defining victories like Weston was talking about getting over that hump. It starts with East Carolina at home, a four game set this coming weekend. They take on UCF on the road next weekend. They've got series coming up against USF in Memphis before they wrap up the regular season. And you know, they're not out of it yet either. It's going to be kind of tough as far as the standings are concerned for the shockers to uh, win the American regular season uh, championship, but it's not out of the question. They said it fourth right now, but you're right, Blake, the, the Cincinnati series was disappointing. We talked about it last week. The Bearcats are kind of a mediocre middle of the road conference team and they took three of four from Wichita State who at this point I think you could also probably characterize as a middle of the road kind of mediocre American team and not just that Tommy but like I told Weston like that when the shocker ladies were losing all those games were close those first two games against Cincinnati not that I think it was six nothing 12 nothing not good games at all Yep, without a doubt. So it's going to be another big challenge for Wichita State this weekend inside the Eck, a four-game series against East Carolina, who is uh, number eight in the country. So we'll make sure to give you an update on how that series turns out next week on the program. Time to hit the music. It is our Wichita Whip Around, where we focus exclusively on topics that deal with sports in the air capital. And, uh, you know, Weston, since you were out last week, it's only right for me to begin with you. So what do you have for our Wichita whip around this week? So I've got two. I'll just start. I'm going to I'll start with one, then kick it over to you guys. Uh, so first, it, breaking, you know, uh, maybe breaking news just now. So Wichita Thunder uh, win seven to two with five unanswered against the Utah Grizzlies wow. and have now moved into first place in the league. Wow. And Rap- the Rapid City Rush have now moved to fourth in the West. So. Uh, big news out for the Wichita Thunder with five unanswered to win six to two. And I'm sorry, I think I said seven to two, but they, they go, they are now seven and two in the season series with Utah. They won the game tonight, six to two with five unanswered. Wow. That's uh that's quite a turnaround for me, Tommy. I, I first of all, want to give a shout out to the Navy and red jet nation. They had their jet spies, uh, which is the kind of their end of season awards banquet. They honor the best players on each team, the teams that, that had success. Um, so shout out to all the jets out there. It was great to cover you this year. And I'm going to stay on campus there with my Wichita whip around Two Newman women's soccer players were named to the all MIAA team. The MIAA didn't have a real soccer season. None of the stats or records will count this year, but they did have a spring season. The Jets went three, six, and one, which you may be saying, okay, that's really not that good. Why would they have two players on the top team? Well, here's the thing. They were three, six, and one on a Jet team that finished allowing multiple goals twice all season. Twice they allowed multiple goals. They allowed more than two goals once all season. They allowed one team to score three, one team to score two. Everybody else got one or they got nothing. So this was an elite defensive team. Kyra Butler, first team All-MIAA Women's Soccer at Defender. Jordan Ashworth, second team All-MIAA at Defender for an elite defensive team under who will still be technically a first season head coach, Jay Holmes, who came over, had so much success at Mays High School, pretty much ran the AVCTL 
for the women, got them to multiple state tournaments and also got the, the boys there to a state tournament. So a local homegrown Sedgwick County guy who had a fantastic season in, you know, the MIAA women's soccer is, it's very, very solid. So I am super excited. Obviously got to put the ball on the back of the net next year, but this was a lockdown defensive team on the pitch for Newman. And I'm hoping over at Wilkins, when fans are going to get to come out and see them next year, hopefully the schedule will be more friendly to that. Conditions will continue to get better so that that can happen. This could be a really, really exciting team that could really compete and move up the standings next year in MIAA Women's Soccer. NU Jets Soccer. And Tommy, I actually followed the rules and only had one story this week. Well, that's all right. Weston, we'll go back to you for your second. Yeah, so the last one is so it's it's a story out of Salina but with Metro Impact and it's it actually happened no you'll see it's coming back around follow 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 uh, April <laughs> so it happened April 17th I missed last week but I did want to give a shout out to Sharp Performance they had the Sharp Performance Combine out there in in uh, Salina Kansas and that's former uh, Kansas running back Jake Sharp posted that and there were 500 student athletes across the the Wichita Metro Hutchinson as far as Hayes all attended this combine which I think is fantastic to highlight for some of these you know one just with the conditions the kids that just did not get the opportunities to get the proper look to put that college tape out there whether it was you know last year this year just with different schedules this and that and secondly Kansas football in particular high school football has a hard time getting any credit that it deserves and kids just don't get seen. They don't get recruited like they maybe should. And and maybe, and maybe it is accurate, but nonetheless, there aren't very many opportunities for kids to go out and showcase. So fantastic that Jake Sharp and Sharp performance was able to put this on that 500 kids were able to to show up and show out. And I just think it's awesome. And I'm, I hope that he continues to have success in putting that thing on for, for kids across the, you know, across the Metro, across the state of Kansas to be able to go and, and, showcase you know to get an opportunity to go play college football we like jake sharp on this program we like jake sharp yes of course we do without a doubt all right so here's my story to wrap up the wichita whip around we're going to talk about little league baseball in the wichita metro to wrap things up kind of kind of ending on a little bit of a a somber note but uh but but you know kind of a i mean it's a really neat story uh with really sad circumstances so uh, I don't know if you guys have followed or heard about the the story of Jeff Hogue, uh, who lived in Wichita with his wife and kids. Uh, Jeff Hogue was a, a, a prominent baseball fan. He was a Little League baseball coach for 316 Baseball. My friend Matt Beatty, uh, Blake, I know you know Matt Beatty. Of course. Matt Beatty is the head of 316 Baseball uh, here in Wichita. Jeff Hogue was one of the coaches for this organization. Jeff Hogue, uh, I believe it was about two years ago, was diagnosed with a, a very aggressive brain tumor, brain cancer. Uh, he passed away. Uh, 24 hours ago, Jeff Hogue is our age, guys. Like Jeff Hogue is like 35, mid 30s. Oh, wow. uh, leaves behind a wife and and two kids. His son Owen is eight years old, and less than a day after his father passed away, just a couple of days ago, Owen decided he wanted to play baseball, and so he went out on the field and he pitched a fantastic game. And he had an inside the park home run <laughs> less than a day after his dad passed away of brain cancer. Um, it's something that uh, has been shared all over social media. Um, I know the local TV stations picked it up as well. Uh, did a story about it. Um, 
but man, it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, you think of how, how sports can impact people, bring people together for a certain cause. Um, and just knowing that this eight year old boy, you know, just lost his, his dad. Um, yeah, at such a young age, but decided that he wanted to go out and play baseball for his dad and had an incredible game. And just watching the video, if you guys get a chance to watch it on social media or on Facebook or something, definitely do so because you watch him hit the home run. He slides into home plate and all of his teammates are like right around him and embracing him and hugging him. And, you know, just pretty incredible story. Um, obviously, sad circumstances. We, you know, we, we, you know, give our, our best to the family uh, for sure and all of this, but um, really kind of an inspiring story and kind of a, a, a neat way to show how sports brings people together. So that is my Wichita whip around story. Anything else from you guys on the Wichita whip around front or is that, is that it? That's all I got. All right. Sounds good. That's going to wrap up our Wichita whip around here on keeper of the games. Before we wrap up the entire show and get out of here, additions, subtractions, corrections, retractions, Blake, we'll start with you. Anything additional or anything you want to correct? None at this time, counselor. All right. Weston, how about you? Any additions or subtractions? Yeah, I'll take this time to go ahead and, and, and do an addition. I'm going to go uh, line by line each team in my mock draft. I'll just give I'm me. I'm sorry, Tommy. Me, okay, I'm breaking one, up. Two minutes. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mute his microphone. I can, I can actually mute his microphone on my end, so I might have to do that. <laughs> you can find my mock draft on Twitter. Just- Okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, I do have one, uh, one update, not really an addition, but one update, uh, that the Royals did defeat the pirates nine to six. So they did move to 15 and eight overall on the season. That game just went final a couple of moments ago. That's going to wrap up our program here for keeper of the games. Now, don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a new episode, you will be notified again. You can find us on all streaming platforms, all the major ones, Google, Apple, all of that. Just make sure to download, listen, subscribe to the podcast of course our website cogsports.com you can watch the full episode on youtube by searching for the keeper of the games youtube channel and you can follow us on twitter and instagram at cogpod that's at kog pod and for those of our listeners that do not have the capability or the desire to watch us on video and are only listening let's tell folks our twitter handle blake let's start with you for our beloved our beloved audio listeners at be crips on twitter Oh me! Yeah, uh, yeah that, after Mills, I get done, that that would be the time that you yeah. would, that you would talk. Wow! I, I took a show off. I'm a little rusty. At W Mills ninety four, go Chiefs! Big draft day Friday, not tomorrow, since round two. Go Chiefs! Wore the special shirt. Let's get it. I think we're going to need to uh, practice our, our segues a little bit better by the time our next show rolls around. You can follow me anytime at tweets from Tommy next week on the program. Blake Cripps takes over the hosting duties and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I'm sure we'll have updates on the KU football coaching situation. We'll have a recap of the NFL draft for the chiefs. We'll talk a little bit about Kansas city Royals baseball. One other note that I'm kind of springing on Blake uh, here very quickly is that Wichita wind surge. They will be back in action. Uh, not back in action. They will be starting action up for the first time ever the week after next. So we might need to do a little bit of a wind surge preview. Sure. And we might even have a special guest on the program. We'll have more details on that in the next several days. So with that for Blake Cripps and Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. We'll see you next week. Thanks for checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys.
You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.